You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. because I was away two weeks ago, and then the Holy Spirit didn't let me preach last week. And so this week, I don't care what he says, I'm preaching no matter what. And so I'm not going to ask you to stand yet because I want to read, ironically enough, my, our opening text is one of the Proverbs about wisdom. And what I think is interesting about it is the Proverbs are ultimately an invitation for us to pursue wisdom. But once in a while in the book, Wisdom is pursuing us, and Proverbs 8, verses 1 through 3 is one of those moments. And it says, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? I love how wisdom is personified as a woman, and my wife said, amen. Because I feel like there's been times where Jacqueline says, have I not called, and have I not raised my voice? And I'm like, you, I didn't hear, I, somebody said the best, I'm, I'm ruining everything. Somebody said the best thing to me today. They, I went up to them and I said, you know, you didn't wish me a happy birthday. And they said, oh my God, pastor, I'm so sorry. You, you know, I, I slept last night. <laughs> Which was the oddest excuse. But here's what I love about it. I feel like they gave me the best birthday present because I think that is something I'm going to use a lot. Why didn't you take out the garbage? Well, I slept last night. Why did you forget to talk to me in a calm way? Oh, well, I, I went to sleep last night. So just, men, have that in your back pocket. It's a good one. Does not wisdom call? We need it now. Does not understanding raise her voice? Listen to this. On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in the front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. Almost the entire book of Proverbs is us having to pursue wisdom. But there's moments where wisdom pursues us, and it's in these moments that are hinge points, at the crossroads, at the portal, at the gates, at the heights, which I think is interesting because we often forget to pray for wisdom when things go really well. Part of the reason why things don't stay going well is we forget to pray for, we pray for wisdom on how to climb the mountain, but we stop asking for wisdom when we're up there. But at the crossroads, in moments of decision, wisdom starts to scream and say, please listen to me right now. And so I bring that verse up because what 2018 has been for us is a vision about living inside the edges or having boundaries in our lives. We've talked about cultivating a life that is not maxed out and available to Christ for others. We've talked about how financially, time-wise, emotionally, energy-wise, scheduling-wise, expectations-wise, we want to be inside the edges. We want to not just be maxed out, but be a little bit less than maxed out. So finances is a great example. When you spend more than you take in, you're in debt. Sometimes we spend exactly as much as we take in, which is good, it's better, but there's no room for the unexpected. We want to be inside the edges. We want to be well within boundaries to the best of our ability to do so. We want to be inside 
boundaries, so there's flexibility, so there's room for life to happen without pushing us out into the world of all kinds of debt, time debt, emotional debt, energy debt, scheduling debt, expectations debt. Expectations inside the edges is so important. What we expect determines how we feel things go. And so if our expectations are wrong, we might be celebrating something that was actually terrible. If our expectations are wrong, we might be mourning something that was actually good. Like Anthony's mustache. The two words we've used to describe how we get there have been cultivating and endurance. It's right about now that you begin to ask as a pastor, what is the theme for next year? Because you have to start praying about it. You have to start getting ready to talk to your leaders about it. And if you're in any kind of leadership, you should not be taken surprised by New Year. You should be ready for New Year. You should always know what the next step is going to be. And so I've been beginning to ask this question, and I felt very clearly, and this is unconventional in in this church's history, I don't think we're changing anything in terms of our vision or our verse or anything like that for next year, because the word God gave us was cultivating and endurance. And so as much as we crave something new, things that last are things where you do the same thing to it a lot where you perform the same actions over and over and over and over and over again. And so I feel like we need to continue the theme for the rest of this year into next year of being people who when we see an area in our lives that is out of bounds, we don't immediately try within a day or the twinkling of an eye or in some kind of supernatural moment to change everything, but we say, how long did it take me to get here? And I'm willing for it to take that long to get me back. I'm willing to move slow. I'm willing to have patience. I'm willing to let God show me so much of the depths of myself about why I got here. We all know the cliche. God can, he can pay your debt for you, but if you don't develop new practices, guess where you're going to be in another three years? And we don't want God to always have to perform miracles all the time. It would be nice if he didn't always. The loaves and fish miracle is great when it's needed, but if that's how our life always is, something is wrong. He wants us to be people who can sustain. And I'm speaking in generalities. There's case-by-case scenarios all across this room. And so if anything that we talk about regarding being inside the edges is something that is really like poking at you and you're curious about it, go to your deacon. Go to an elder. Make an appointment to meet with me because when you preach, it's so enslaving to have to preach because you can only speak in generalities. I'm looking at people that I know right now, and the generality is not what you need. You need something specific, but we can't give it from the pulpit on Sunday. And so it's important that Sunday sets the boundaries for how you pray, but the relationships you have in the church with your deacons and elders and friends and me, these one-on-one relationships, they need to be pursued because Sunday can't get you all the way where you need to go in terms of preaching. Life inside the edges is a life where people can come and take from you, but you don't feel like anything was stolen because it was there to be taken in the first place. How many times does somebody in the middle of a day call you and you accidentally answer your phone? And an hour and a half later, or or maybe somebody does this to you, and I'm using this as an example because my father-in-law and my brother are victims of me lying, where I say, hey, can I call you for five minutes? And they know 
And they usually say, can you wait until it's lunchtime? And I'm like, sure, but I really know deep down what they're saying is, you're a liar, we need an hour, because you always do this to us. When that happens, sometimes we feel like somebody has taken, they take the life from me. They take time from me. They're so costly. They've cost me my emotional health. And we, and we say this, this idea that things are being robbed from us. But what if we were so inside the edges and so organized and so clean in our lives that we actually had stuff on the fringes of our lives that people can steal, but they don't know we actually gave it to them? Notice when the woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus, he stops and he says, I felt power leave me. He doesn't say somebody robbed it. He said somebody accessed it. What if we felt that way with time? When somebody took time from us, we said, I felt power leave me. When somebody cost us more money than we wanted them to cost, we say, I felt power leave me. When somebody costs us a good night's sleep, we wake up in the morning and say, I felt power leave me, but I, didn't, I don't feel fatigue left me. I felt power left me. In a good way. Jesus is life inside the edges. And so whenever we took from him, even when we took his life, he could say, it was there for you to take. I laid it down so that you could take it. So we've been using this phrase all year, the edges. And so we need to define what the edges are. Because what the edges are will always be a product of what we worship. The boundaries you set will always reflect what it is you worship most and what it is you refuse to lose. Whatever your boundaries are, when you make them, reflect your deepest priorities. Just as I go through the rest of this, remember it's my birthday. <laughs> but like Elder Bill said, somebody's head might get cut off today, and that's not a big deal, okay? So just understand, if I would have known and planned better, I would have had a really nice message for today, but I'm going to step on some toes because it's been a while since I've preached that way, and we're back out of the summertime now, and so all the nice beach chairs and suntan and all that is gone, and now I want to punch somebody in the face today because it's September 9th, so, and I'm angry, and I don't know why, so it's Anthony's mustache, why? That's the excuse for the rest of this message. What our edges are is a product of what we worship most. We establish disciplines and worldviews to support our boundaries. But if the edges are idolatry, if the edges are idealism, if the edges are a product more of my opinion than they are the Holy Spirit, then even if I'm inside the edges, I'm not inside the edges at all. If our edges are what we worship, then our practices strengthen those edges. So Jesus has to be the edges. Jesus has to be what our boundaries are. The life of Christ, as defined in the four Gospels, has to be what our boundary is. We can make so many things the demarcating line of what I will allow in and out of my life. We have to see what did Jesus allow in? What did he allow out? How did he handle his time? How did he handle his talent? How did he handle his treasure? And this is why I think you're all going to kill me. His answer to all of them was give, give, and give. How did he handle his treasure? He gave it. How did he handle his time? He gave it. Lavishly. To the point where he became poor. 
So let me list five things that our edges are not. And I actually have in my notes, this may be offensive. <laughs> but if it triggers you, don't get mad, pray. We really are the kind of people where the minute something makes us mad, our anger validates the fact that we got mad. When something angers us, immediately we say, oh, I must be right about this because I got angry. I'm seldom correct when I get angry. Listen to me. When you get angry first, when anger is the first thing that happens, you might not be wrong, but slow down. Just slow down. Before the next thing happens, if anger is the first reaction that hits you, if anger is the first emotion that hits you, you might not be wrong, but slow down. The next thing you do is vital when anger is the first emotion you have. So we're not saying it shouldn't be. We're just saying at that point, slow down and think. So if that happens while I'm talking, just slow down and think before the next thing you think about me. Because I have feelings too. And they hurt sometimes. Hmm. What our edges are not. The first one, our edges are not this thing we all love to call nowadays called work-life balance. Remember, think slowly before you think the next thing about me. I'm, the phrase is fine. We should have balance between work and life. But my problem is when life things are seen as work, this becomes a problem. See, we should have a balance between our work and our life. But the problem with these phrases are, how is work not my life? Imagine if I, in this position, didn't treat work like it was my life. Leave now. Don't listen to anything else I say. When we see a difference between our work and our life, that's called not having integrity. When who you are at work isn't who you are in life, then Jesus stands there and says, we need to talk. Because his vocation and occupation is exactly who he was all of the time. He is his work. So what we're looking for is a work-life fusion. What we're looking for is a work-life fullness and oneness. And the problem happens when when I see something like fellowship, and God help me, I'm 36 years old and I just use that word legitimately. Yeah, I know, right? We've made fun of people for saying fellowship up here. And I just said it, and I'm going to own it. When getting together with people from church counts as work, something's gone wrong. So when we say something like, today was my day off, so, you know, we were going to have Maddie and Anthony over our house, but today, you know, I decided to take one of those days. I took a me day. And so I'm going to cancel with them. I'm not saying that that's wrong, but please hear me. If having them over counts as work, something has gone wrong. Because when I grew up in my house with my mom and dad, they liked days off so they could have people over. I think we've allowed fun things to be felt as work. And so when we take a break from work, sometimes we're taking a break from life, and that should never happen. So we got to be careful. Work-life balance, that, that should not be our boundaries. Here's another one that shouldn't be our boundaries. Financial peace. We want 
financial peace. We want relational peace. We want emotional peace. We want dot, dot, dot peace. And God wants us to have none of those things. He wants us to have, listen to me, a peace that passes all understanding. Because when I don't have financial peace, I need a peace that passes all understanding. When I don't have relational peace, I need a peace that passes all understanding. So my goal shouldn't be to have peace in all the components of my life. My goal should be to have a peace that passes understanding that I can't explain. So when the, when the components of my life aren't peaceful, I'm still at peace. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. We don't need to go to a financial peace university. We don't need to do those things. If your finances are good and that gives you peace, please make an appointment with me. We have to talk before something happens to your finances because then it will happen to your peace too. Our peace has to be something that a million years from now will still exist. And mammon won't exist a million years from now, but Jesus will. So he needs to be our peace so that we can actually let other things not be peaceful. Imagine having the freedom to not need emotional peace because you have a peace that passes understanding and so you can walk through life in the tumult and the calm and be the same person. And so you're not constantly forcing other people to have to be peaceful, giving yourself this delusional like Photoshop sense of peace because you need it to feel calm. You're already calm. So when things go wrong, you can actually handle it presidentially, like an executive of your own life. And not like somebody who's suffocating because a relationship you have isn't going very well. There's a peace that's deeper than that. Don't get mad at me when I say this because I'm going to explain it right away. But happiness is also not the edges. And the reason why I say that is because God doesn't want us to only be inside the edges with our happiness. He wants us to be inside the edges with all of our emotions. So we shouldn't pursue happiness as, or we shouldn't make happiness the boundaries of my life. Jesus is the boundaries of my life so that whether I'm happy or not, whatever emotion I'm experiencing, I can experience it like a healthy human. All of the emotions have to be inside the edges. So if happiness is the edges, then I'm only inside the edges when I'm happy. But that's fake. And there will probably be people in church right now who are saying it should always be that way. And they're setting their church up for tragedy. Because things are going to happen today like for Jacksonville Jaguars. Things are going to happen today, and they're going to be really upset, and I pray in the name of Jesus that the fans have Jesus as their edges so that when they lose, they still feel like themselves. They could still be themselves. Or me, depending on how that goes. The path of least resistance, God help us all, is not our boundary lines. Our flesh wants a freedom that it shouldn't have, and if there's no resistance in our life, our flesh is eating too much. We need resistance, but we need resistance that is the path of the cross. There's a kind of resistance that my flesh kicks up when it's throwing a temper tantrum, but there's a kind of resistance the cross puts in my life. And the cross's resistance has a double effect immediately. When I deny myself and I take up the cross of Christ with him, I'm immediately met with pain right? But I'm immediately met with the freedom to let that pain have a work in my life. So there's an immediate ouch when you take up your cross, but then there's an immediate freedom that says, you know what? I'm going to deny myself. I'm not going to make the comment that I want to make. I'm going to deny myself, and I'm not going to make that comment. 
So the minute I don't make that comment, I say, ouch, because I really, really, really wanted to make that comment. But the minute I take up my cross and I, and I feel the resistance of that comment saying, make it, and the minute I don't, there's a joy and a freedom that comes when I say, yeah, I didn't need to make it. I actually am the kind of person that can have a comment and keep it to myself. I'm becoming a big boy now. Right? Got my Huggies pull-ups on. I am a big boy now. I hope this frees some people, especially some old school Christians in the house. Go big or go home, at least under my leadership with my wife, is not the boundary lines. When you have people over your house, you don't always need to have every inch of it dusted, the nicest fine china out. It doesn't need to look fake. Invite somebody to your house with it a little bit of a mess so the rest of us know there's hope, please. If every time I come over your house, it's spick and span all the time, I'm going to feel embarrassed about my life and not have anybody over because that's just not the way that our house always is. I, I park my car right in front of you. You can look at my car. Sometimes it looks like I live in it. Sometimes I do. <laughs> it's not great to be sloppy. But I'm just saying that if our hospitality and our generosity is based on always needing to be perfect and excellent at everything, we're going to move way too slow and other people who don't have it like that are going to be intimidated. Your personality is what makes your house amazing. Your personality is what brings people to Christ. Who you are in the Lord. And, and, and listen to this. Your personality, in case that's an issue here too, does, also doesn't need to be go big or go home. Listen to what I'm saying. Write this down. It's really good, what I'm about to say. Your personality is merely your starting point. It's not what you're limited to. It's where God starts in your life. But he will bring you so out of the bounds of your personality in a natural way. Your personality is starting point. And then let the Holy Spirit take you my wife and I are opposites when it comes to personality. I love to talk. She loves to listen. Thank God. <laughs> but when we're talking about things in our ministry, it's usually her helping me learn to shut up and me saying, no, hon, when you talk, it's good. <laughs> because God always starts with where we are, but then he pushes us to where we're not with our personality, and that's how we grow. And whenever you're functioning in a way of your personality that isn't natural to you, that's likely where most of the Spirit's work is gonna be amazing. <laughs> in other words, when I listen, <laughs> which is a greater miracle than Jesus saying to Lazarus, come forth, <laughs> things actually happen. It's weird to talk now after I said that. But I can't just stand up here and listen because that would be weird. So I'll keep talking and listen a different time. Here's what we can do. We're going to move through this fast. Now we can stand to our feet. And please, I'm not going to go crazy, but we're going to read a short text, a very weird and odd text in the Bible, and we're going to talk about what inside the edges looks like. Mark 7, verse 24 to 30. And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not remain hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. 
and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus, what is wrong with you right now? Why would you say that? But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. You may be seated. For starters, I'll just say this. If you're inside the edges, there should be crumbs that fall from your table. You should not be consuming every last inch of your life. Something should fall from your life that someone else can have that changes them forever. If all of your time and all of your money and all of your talent and all of your patience is consumed with you and there are no crumbs, there'd be no Gentiles who are saved and about 98% of us could leave the room right now. Let's talk about three quick ways the woman was inside the edges. Number one, this woman was inside the edges with her emotional control. She didn't have entitlement, which would have been outside the edges, and she didn't walk away despairing, which would have been outside the edges. She didn't hear what she wanted, and she didn't walk away dejected and mad and hurt forever, but she didn't stand there with entitlement either. She said, okay, I'll take your comment, but I'll raise you some humility here. I'm willing to eat crumbs. Is that okay? You want to insult me and say that I should only eat crumbs? Well, then I'll eat crumbs. But I think, Jesus, your crumbs can save somebody's life. And Jesus says, okay, your daughter is healed now. You can go home. Imagine if we could say something so honest and vulnerable that could make us hurt to somebody. And they disrespect, and please just hold on. I, I, you all know I'm a fan of Jesus, right? So I'm creating some tension about Jesus being obnoxious, but I think you all know I'll resolve it in a little while. So I'm going to say like he was mean, but ultimately we know he wasn't, so please don't get mad. But imagine you're the kind of person who can say something that can open your heart up to possible abuse. And then somebody says something that sounds abusive. And your first reaction is a way to be humble, but still stand there. You don't leave forever offended. And you don't take violent action. The spirit gives you something else to say. That's emotional control inside the edges. We should pray for that. The woman was inside the edges with relational control. Outside the edges of relational control, you're a slave to need. But look at this. Her house was in crisis, and she was willing to leave the crisis where the crisis was happening to leave her house and go find Jesus. In our culture, this is amazing because we are a slave to feeling useful. So we feel like I need to stay where I'm the most useful and certainly not go to where I'm not welcome. But watch this, when the woman was willing to leave where she could be useful, to go to where she wasn't welcome, Jesus went to where she was useful but couldn't be all the way useful. If you always stay where you can have an impact on your life and you're never willing to leave to go where Jesus is so he can have an impact on your life, the best you'll ever do is be praying for the same thing over and over and over again all the time. Sometimes, even when it comes to our families, which for many of us, our families are our edges. They can't be. Because if I'm always staying where my best friends or my family, where if I'm always where they are, especially when there's a need and say, I can't leave right now. I can't 
whatever, I can't go to church today because this is going on here. If we can't leave where we could be useful to go be where Jesus is, he might not show up the way he would if I left. She went to where she knew she was going to get slapped around by these pious, racist men. Be nice. Y'all know where I'm going with Jesus. Just hold on. She went to where she knew she wasn't going to be welcome and stayed. She could have even said, you know what? I shouldn't even have come here. I knew I should have stayed home, and you make a comment like that to me. Proof and confirmation, this isn't where I should go to church and go home. But she leaves the crisis and gets insulted and says, listen, a lot of people could insult me and I'd leave, but Jesus, I'm staying. I still want to talk. I'm not going home just yet. And by the time she got home, he did what her usefulness could never do. Her daughter was healed. Relational control. Knowing when the spirit has us where there is a need and knowing where the spirit is actually asking us to detach from a need so he can have some space to work. Jesus has to be our edges. And the woman was inside the edges with protest control. My God. When we're outside the edges of protest control, we either decide to have no voice ever again because it always gets walked on, or we decide to have a destructive voice. Whether it's social protest, we've seen that go right and we've seen that go wrong. Or whether it's in the home relational protest, fathers and sons, husbands and wives, friends, social networks, pastor, congregant, whatever it is. When we need to protest, there's a way to protest inside the edges where you don't lose your voice, but you also don't try to shut the other person's voice down either. You listen and speak. My brother and I often talk about 12-year-old Jesus, and to me it's just God either being insulting or funny that he has 12-year-old Jesus be more mature than any of us in the room. But it says this of Jesus in the temple. It says that he listened and asked questions, but it says they were amazed at his answers. There's something about listening and asking questions that make other people want to hear what you have to say. If you're willing to listen and ask, the other person will likely ask you as well. But when you're always trying to shut down listening and asking because you're making comments that are louder, people will likely say okay to you and walk away, but they're not taking you seriously. This woman was inside the edges of those things. Jesus was inside the edges with prerogative control. My God, imagine being able to be inside the edges with your opinion and how you associate with your opinion. This is why I think we need to move into next year with this because I'm sitting up here saying, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine living a life where the most important thing to me is not my opinion because I live with my opinion. I hear my opinion. I argue with my own opinion and beat myself in the argument with my opinion, thus strengthening my opinion all of the time. When you're outside the edges, when you can't get what you want, we either enter authority abuse or we totally lose our ability to find any enjoyment in life. This is what I love about what Jesus did. There are a lot of authors and scholars who think 
that Jesus actually changed his mind in this text. And I don't agree. I don't agree that Jesus changed his mind for a lot of reasons. But here's what I think Jesus did. I think Jesus revealed what he was always going to do in a way that looks like he changed his mind for a reason. Because Jesus, Jesus being one and not having any competing, competing parts within himself doesn't ever need to change his mind because Jesus doesn't make choices, which is a whole other thing that we can talk about another time. But actually, choices enslave us. You're all looking at me funny. Have you ever on a Friday night kind of wanted to make plans but also didn't want to make plans? And so you're like, if I decide to stay home, I'm going to feel like a loser or something. But if I decide to go out, I'm going to hate everybody I go out with. <laughs> Imagine you didn't have that confliction and you just knew the thing that you wanted to do and it was such a want that you just naturally flowed to it. A lot of times choices actually enslave us. Jesus was so one with the Father because of the Spirit that he didn't ever make a choice for God. He, he inhabited the flow perfectly to the Father. He wasn't saying, um, I wonder what I should do. He was just always naturally inclined to the Father. It's what we will have with him one day. It's what we have with him in the spirit now. And it's what we constantly fight against. It's location of spiritual warfare all the time. And I say all that to say, Jesus always knew he was going to heal this girl, this woman's daughter. But he made it look like he changed his mind. Because he knows that when we're in the same position that he's in, we will have to change our mind. When I meet somebody that's different than me, that I've judged, that I don't like, that I feel has hurt me, or whatever the case is, and I throw my one comment out there to try to get that person away, and they stay, and in the name of Jesus, they're in my life, I have to change my mind. We have to be the kind of people who will make snap judgments, realize we're wrong, and then change our mind. He had prerogative control. If we can never change our mind, we can't enjoy people. I'll, Jesus had political control. The word or here is important. Jesus had political control. If he was outside the edges with his politics, listen to me, he would be left or right. And the word or is the problem. He would only be able to be one. You know I don't go here very often. And I'll make it a glancing blow right now. But I'm pretty sure that we're just about 50-50 here, Republican and Democrat. And can I tell you what a great miracle it is that we're all worshiping together in the house? I've sat with people who are left or right. And it's annoying. Because they critique everything on the other side. And if that same thing happens to somebody they voted for, they defend it. If person A does something wrong and it's who I don't like, I tell everybody, see, this is why you shouldn't have voted for them. But if my person does something wrong, I tell everybody, no, no, here's, they're, they're spinning it. There's no room in an or person, in a left or right person. There's no room to stand where you feel is right, but see the rest of what could be right on the other side and try and desire to make an argument so that they could be right because we don't want the other side to be right when we draw a line in the sand. We're looking for reasons to keep them on the other side. Jesus is looking for one inch, one moment, one thing he could say about the other side. See, that's good. We should get rid of this line. 
He's looking now. Guess what? While we were still sinners, Christ came and died for the ungodly. He was just looking for a reason to say, Dad, let me jump across that line, please. One good thing in them. And then God says, I can't find any good thing in them. And Jesus says, then make me one of them so you could see me in them and then let me go. That destroys political racism, political diversity, all that stuff. It destroys it. We should be looking for one crumb of a reason to obey, to, to get on the same page. We should be able to be the kind of people that transcend left and right. That's all I'll say for now. Jesus was inside the edges with social control, meaning like social networks, like friends. It says that he went into a house because he wanted to remain hidden. He needed to breathe. He needed to take a nap. Inside the edges of social control or outside the edges is mental burnout. Or we remain hidden and become isolated. Here's what I love about Jesus. Time and time again, read, read all four Gospels. He does this so well. He goes someplace to be by himself. Thus telling us that it's good to do that. But when he goes someplace to be by himself, if the right circumstance arises, he forgets that he wanted to be by himself and he engages. So this is why our edges need to be him. Because our edges need to be a person. Something that is dynamic. Something that can flow with life. Principles alone can't flow with life. So there's a way to say, I need time. But then that need of time to refresh, to relax, to breathe, Jesus wanting it shows that we should want it because he wouldn't want anything that he wouldn't want us to want. He is God's revelation to us. This is probably why God created a day where he says, go be by yourself, take the Sabbath. But in that space of being by himself, Jesus still had a yes to the Father which meant he still had a yes to people. And so even when he wanted time, if the right, see, we don't know about the times where he took time to himself and the right circumstance didn't show up, and so he kept the time to himself. I'm sure there's things Jesus said no to. He said no to healing people. He said, I have to leave because I have to go to other towns. So there are times where Jesus says no to things that are good, but when the right circumstances arise, whether it's when he fed the 5,000 or in this story here, he started with time to himself, but when the right circumstances arose, he forgot that he needed time to himself. And he blessed other people. And he let them in to his quiet time. He let them into his space. He let them into his Sabbath. He let them into his rest. And there's something that tells me that we have forgotten that Sabbath rest is supernatural. It's not taking a nap. That's quite natural. But Sabbath rest, when I say to God, I need time. But in that time when I take it, I'll obey you. If something of God takes me out of that time, I have to assume that God will give me what I lost because I obeyed him. These two began a movement. Jesus always knowing he was going to heal the daughter. But showing us that we're going to need to change our mind. 
This is the first Gentile that Jesus gives the covenant of Abraham to. And years later, when a centurion, another Gentile, looks up at the cross and says, no one could pray like that. No one can forgive like that. No one can smile up there like that. This man was the son of God. When that Gentile got saved, and then Peter is called to the Gentiles, and Paul is called to the Gentiles, and all of a sudden, there's this harvest of Jews and Gentiles and everyone in between getting saved. It starts because these two, this Jesus and this unnamed woman, were inside the edges. And they began a revolution inside the edges that spilled outside of the edges to everyone who was literally quite outside the edges. We have to be the kind of people where our boundaries are not ones of our own making, but they're Jesus Christ himself, led by the Holy Spirit. And we have to be willing to change our minds. We have to be willing to find creative ways to be, get our point across, to listen to other people without being extreme. It's too exhausting, Salem, to be extreme all the time. When one thing goes right and we act like our whole life is finally better, and one thing goes wrong and we act like our life will never be the same again, it's too exhausting to live there. We will be burnt and disappointed and sometimes way too happy. You know that annoying person? Me and my husband never fight. Ugh. <laughs> Shut up. It's obviously because you don't care about each other then. <laughs> we need to be the kind of people who, can, who are struck down and not destroyed. You knocked me down today, but I repented and got back up. You knocked me down today, but I forgave you and got back up. Life knocked me down today, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Inside the edges. Let's stand to our feet as we get ready to come to the Lord's table. Worship team can come up here. As we come to the table of the Lord today, this meal is what inside the edges looks like. Power inside of brokenness. That's inside the edges for us. If we think that we need to be whole to be powerful, we will never be powerful in this life. Do you know the phrase, hurt people hurt people? I disagree with that phrase. Listen to me. Everybody's hurt. Everyone's got wounds. Hurt people don't hurt people. Listen. People who refuse to heal hurt people. Everyone's hurt. It's people who refuse to repent. People who refuse to forgive. People who refuse to engage all the means of grace that God has given us. Those are people who hurt people. Everyone is hurt. If hurt people hurt people, all we would ever do is hurt pe each other. People who refuse to heal hurt people. This meal is us coming and saying to God, I need to be healed because I don't want to hurt people. This is us coming to God saying, people are going to hurt me and I don't want to be offended. On the night you were betrayed, you gave your body. I want to be like that.
Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.